The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. When you choose to lead a creative life, you can face a lot of obstacles. There's always the issue of time, of course, as well as the occasional struggle with inspiration. There never seems to be a shortage of things that stand between where you are right now and where you want to be. But hopefully, we each find a way to surmount obstacles and get back to producing the work and doing what we love. But what happens when that obstacle is your own body? That was the question that South African wedding photographer Ursula Tosik faced when in 2012 she suffered a stroke that left her partially paralyzed. Suddenly, she was faced not only with difficult physical rehabilitation, but the question of how she would continue earning a living as a photographer. Despite not regaining full use of her body, she reinvented herself as a portrait photographer, which not only allowed her to continue earning a living, but provided her the impetus to live a life that is still full of creativity, challenges, and joy. She provides all of us great perspective when we ask ourselves the question, what's holding me back? Well, um, Ursula, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure to, to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, I saw your story uh, on, a, on, I think it was Petapixel a couple of weeks ago, and it was really, really interesting. And uh, I was really eager to have a chance to speak with you. But wh- why don't you tell us about your, your beginnings as a photographer? Because I know that though you're doing a lot of portraiture work now, that you you were working primarily as a, as a wedding photographer initially. Is that right? I was. I started off in weddings in about 2007, and I got very busy very quickly, and I loved it. It was my, it's all I wanted to do. And then I had my strokes. I had two strokes, and obviously now I can't run after brides anymore. So I do portraiture for my own studio. So I'm still shooting, but not weddings. So how did you get introduced to photography in the first place? Was it something that you had been doing since you were younger, or were you introduced to it later? I was introduced much later in my life. My sister-in-law is a professional wedding photographer and she used me one day as a second shooter and I got hooked. I was just, that's me, I'm going to do this. What appealed to you about it? I think it was the whole, I'm, I'm a bit of a girly girl, so I like the hair and the makeup and the pretty dresses and the pretty flowers and, and it's such a beautiful day, actually. It's a day where you're in somebody's intimate space and it's beautiful. It's all about love and happy and it's great. And what were, you, what were you doing before then, before you started, you know, picking up the camera and started considering making photography your career? What, what, what did you think you were going to end up doing? I was actually a big corporate girl. So I worked for MTN and I was their top sales executive. And then I couldn't do corporate anymore. So I decided just to do photography full time. 
You know, there, there are a lot of people who I've talked to who have transitioned from one career into another. And I, I know there are a lot of people who are listening to this show who are at a job that maybe they don't necessarily hate, but don't necessarily find fulfilling. But they, they sometimes have a difficult challenge in trying to transition from what they are doing to something that they're aspiring to do. How did how did how did you make the leap? What I did is I, first of all, made sure that I was earning enough money from my weddings that I could support myself. That was my first step. So I worked for about a year just getting bookings for the following year. And once I was booked and I got fully booked for a whole year in advance, I quit my job pretty much. But I had to make sure that my income was there. Otherwise, it's a scary change to make. And how long were you working as a wedding photographer when you, when you had your stroke? For seven years. And, and tell us about how that happened. Was it completely sudden? Had you been feeling ill leading up to that? I was completely fit. I had no cholesterol, no blood sugar issues. I was a fit, fit, fit gym girl. I was a bodybuilder in those days, a natural bodybuilder. And it was completely out of the blue. And I think it was just too much stress. I got a divorce. So it was a bit of a hectic year for me. Mm-hmm. And I just stood up and collapsed, and that was that. Where, where, where were you when, when it happened? How did you get help? I was actually moving into my own place after my husband and I got separated, and um, nobody even knew where I was. So it was a little bit scary, but I collapsed, and I knew that I was busy dying, and I had to get my phone. So I crawled on the floor until I could get to my phone, and my right hand woke up. It was weird. I was paralyzed from the neck down, and then... All of a sudden, my right hand woke up and so did my right leg. And I had to call to get to my phone and I called a client and I said, please come and fetch me. I think I'm dying. And she thought I was joking. And I said to Chantal, if you don't come right now, I'm going to die. And she eventually found me. I don't know how she even found me, but they took me to hospital. And when I got to the emergency, the doctor said, you're having a stroke. And I could talk perfectly fine. And I said to him, get out of town. I'm way too young. There's no ways I'm having a stroke. And, and that's, yeah. So obviously it did happen. Oh yeah! Did you lose? Did you lose consciousness at, at, at any point? I was almost in and out of consciousness, but I knew what was going on. It was bizarre. My brain still knew what was going on, but my body was shutting down. Does that make sense? My um, everything was starting to shut down, like even my lungs and everything. Oh my god! Uh, what? So, what was the when you were in the hospital? Were you in the hospital for a, prolong, a long period of time? What What were they telling you initially in terms of what to expect? Okay, so I spent three weeks in intensive care, and then they transferred me into a rehabilitation center. And the doctors pretty much told me, "You'll never sit again, you'll never stand again, and you'll never walk again." So, pretty much, just deal with it, okay? And we'll help you as much as we can. So, yeah, sure. It was a bit hectic. Yeah. It just must have been just, you know, considering what you were going through with the breakup of your marriage and, uh, you know, all that that alone could be a pretty dramatic and, and, and traumatic experience to go through. But to have all of a sudden your your body fail on you, I can I can only imagine where where your headspace was 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 at. Um, did did you fall into a deep depression as a result? I actually didn't, believe it or not, or maybe I was, but I wasn't aware of it myself. I've always been a happy, happy, happy girl, and I chose not to cry about it. And well, I did have my tears, but I chose just to not let it affect me, actually, emotionally. 
and here I am. And I'm grateful, even though half my body still doesn't work, I'm so grateful for everything that I actually have in my life. And I've got lots to be grateful for. I can't shoot weddings. That's okay. Now I'm doing portraits. That's all. Did you know immediately that you wanted to get back to making photographs? Absolutely. Something that never left me. And I had to take a bit of a break. And um, I had to deal with what had happened to me, if that makes sense. My, um, my brain only came right, I would say, in the last year of my, after my stroke. Mm-hmm. That I could remember how to edit. I could remember how to talk properly and contact clients. But I always wanted to do it. I just needed the internal strength and space to carry on with it. So during that time that you were uh, experiencing rehabilitation from the, you know, since after you were released to the hospital and you started to rehabilitate, what was the progress that, that was made in terms of your ability, not only to sort of remember, but also physically being able to handle a camera and work at a computer? You know, what, what, were, what, were, what was your state physically and mentally and how much did it progress over that, that year and how? Okay, so... I started off in a wheelchair, which was kind of stupid because I only had one working hand, right? I mean, you can't go far <laughs> in a wheelchair with one working hand, okay? I have progressed from there. I can use a stick now to walk. And if I hold on, I can walk. So if you had to hold my hand, I'd be able to take steps. But I can't walk on my own. And from a shooting perspective, I've had to use a chair with wheels on and um, just shoot freehand. It's been hectic, but it's all good. I'm taking beautiful photographs. And mentally, I knew for my own self, if I don't do something that I'm passionate about, then I'm going to start losing it a bit mentally, you know. And photography has always been my passion. And it's, I think that's what's sort of pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to carry on. So what adjustments did you have to learn to make with respect to how you handled the camera in order to make, to, make, to make your photographs? My right arm had to get a lot stronger because to hold a camera freehand for a whole shoot is quite tiring. Um, I have to be a little bit more patient with myself. I can't use two hands. I've changed my lenses. I shoot with a fixed lens now because I can't zoom with my left hand. Yeah, pretty much freehand and just more stable my hand has to be very very stable otherwise i don't get the shot it's blurred so i've got to put a lot of effort and concentration into taking a shot if that makes sense is it more fatiguing as a result of being limited physically in order to be able to make your 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 photographs as a result of the fact like you just said that you're having to handle the weight of the camera with you know with, with one hand with one arm do you have to be careful in terms of not overexerting yourself when you're when you're doing a shoot? I get very tired very quickly, but I'm at a level now where I'm quite good. So I pose my clients and I get the shot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it I, does. So I try and cut down my own shooting time because I know I'm going to be exhausted. But I'm so passionate about it and I love it so much that I can shoot like almost a full day now. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Tell me about the, the first shoot that, that you did. Who did you photograph? And tell me about, you know, what you went through and what it felt like to, to pull off that first shoot. Okay, my first shoot was with a deaf client um, who read my story somewhere. And she came to me, obviously, because she also has a disability. And we just connected. And I explained to her, I've got huge physical challenges. And she said, Ursula, I want you to do my shoot. So I called in a second shooter just to help me out on the day so I wasn't freaking out. 
but she was very patient with me and I was patient with myself and she got incredible portraits and she's coming back to me this year again. Oh, that's fantastic. But it was, it was tough. I was nervous. I was um, anxious. I was freaking, I was actually just freaked out. It's like, oh my God, what am I actually doing? I've got one hand, but it worked out and everything was fine. It must have been one of the most satisfying shoots you probably had in a while, considering everything you had gone to just to be able to get to that moment. It was exhilarating. And after that shoot, I thought, right, this is it. I can do it. You've done your first shoot. Just do it now, Ursh. You can do it. It was mind-blowing that I could still shoot. I could still pose them. I could still, it was flipping amazing, actually. So how did you, since you were transitioning from doing weddings now to doing portraits, how did you start getting the clients to be able to keep your, your business sustained? I contacted all of my wedding clients and I had a very good reputation, a very good relationship with them. And I think I had so many of my wedding clients coming to me to support me through this. And then pretty much my friends, family, and I stalk people on Facebook, right? If I see a girl <laughs> and I want to photograph her, I stalk her and I send her a message. I'm like, you have to come and do a portrait shoot with me. And inevitably they do so. And I'm not scared of my story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me that I am like I am because I now can still photograph. So I'm quite confident. Um, when my client comes to me, I explain to them, okay, this is how I have to shoot. You have to get used to my movements. This is how I have to move my chair. And they're fine. They are so chilled. But I suppose that's um, confidence, hey? Yeah. And I, I think you can tell me, but I would think that that seeing your vulnerability helps to open them up in a, in a way that some photographers have difficulty eliciting from their subjects. Do you, do you think that that plays a role? My clients tell me that I'm bossy, okay? They say, Ursula, you're so bossy. I'm like, if I could get up and move it myself, I would, but you have to do it. Sorry, you know? No, I think they're more patient with me because they can see I really struggle, but I haven't had... Any client that's been funny or walked out or didn't want to continue, it's just been chilled. Mm-hmm. But I'm quite a people person. I love people. And I'm bossy, so it works. <laughs> so, so explain the setup in which you photograph. I saw some of it in the video. Uh, you're, you're working on the floor. It seems like you're usually working with a fairly simple backdrop. Um, how are the scenes being lit? Explain to people what the setup is and under which you, you work to create your, your portraits. Okay, so I'm a natural light photographer. I just work with lights, natural light, really. I can't use studio lights because one-handed it would be impossible. And I just make sure I've got beautiful lights. I'm close to a window. I use very simple backdrops. And if I want to paint them or change them, I get somebody to come and help me. And my clients move stuff around during the shoot. Did I answer you? Yeah, yeah. So you're not working with an assistant. You're working in collaboration with your subject, not in term, not only in terms of them posing for you, but also in terms of, you know, them helping you with moving th- things around in order to sort of optimize the, the, the setting for the photographs. Yes, absolutely. And I also have a hair and makeup artist. I've got a whole team of them, actually. And they all know my story and they're all willing to come early and help me set up. So I just ask people for help, really. And people will help you. If I say to my clients, please can I have a glass of water? They don't mind getting up and getting me a glass of water. They're just people help. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just because I'm bossy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it helps, I'm sure. 
You know, I, I think, you know, what you're doing is that, you know, despite the disability is like you are, you're doing what every portrait photographer really needs to do is establish control of the session. Very much so. And if you can't do that, you're not going to have a session. That's how I see it. So it's better to be in control. And I'm quite firm as well with my clients as well. If they're not listening, I tell them, listen, you're not listening to me. Please, can you do X, Y, and Z until I get the shot that I want? Because I know if I don't get that shot, I'm not going to make a sale. Absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. So just, just be bossy. That's all. And control it, yeah. But I've got, I mean, I am quite old now. Um, I've got many, many, many years corporate sales experience, and I've dealt with blue-collar workers all the way up to CEOs of companies, and I think that never left me anyway. Does it make sense? No, absolutely. You know, that makes perfect sense. Being able to sort of read people, being able to sort of communicate effectively, all the things that you that typically make up a good salesperson in the corporate world really translate to when you're a photographer, particularly a portrait photographer. Very much so. When you started having to work at the the computer again, what sort of adjustments did you have to make there with respect to being able to edit your, your images? Okay, editing one-handed with a mouse is actually almost impossible, right? But I've had to be patient with myself and I've had to force myself to do it. I can't explain it. Um, so I move my keyboard around. So it's, if I have to press Alt, my mouse button, I just put them close together and one-handed up click the buttons together. Mm-hmm. And if it takes me an extra hour to do a piece of editing that would normally take me two minutes, then it takes me an hour and I'm just patient and I just do it. I'd like to get like a, a pen that I could use. I think that would help. But right now, I'm using keyboard, mouse and screen as I would normally. Do you have to be sort of careful in terms of not fatiguing yourself when you're at the computer for too long, especially since you have to be that much more concentrated in terms of what you're trying to do physically? Uh, I will edit for an hour and then I'll go have a cup of coffee I'll go do something else and then I'll come back and carry on editing but I'm give myself deadlines which I think is quite important because I'm not it's almost like I get bored of editing because I'm frustrated and it's taking me longer than it should but I force myself to do it I'm like okay Ursula, you have to do this by tomorrow get it done and sometimes I'll work until 11 o'clock at night but I take lots of breaks in between I might even have an afternoon nap, carry on. I need patience to deal with this. You mentioned earlier that, that you did a lot of physical fitness, you did bodybuilding. Is is exercise a, a, a part of your regimen now, even with your limited mobility? I am actually not even going to lie. I have become so lazy <laughs> that and maybe, maybe it's because I've did it so much before that um, I just I don't have inclination to do any exercise. So I task myself with smaller things. So whether it's doing the dishes or whatever it may be, and I consider that as part of my little routine in my day, but no, I don't train. It's, it's quite scary because I'm on my own. And um, if I had to fall and injure myself, then I've got bigger problems. So it's maybe like a fear thing that stops me from trying to walk on my own and stuff. I'm not sure. Hmm. But I do very little exercise right now. Are there concerns in terms of your long-term health related to the stroke or basically, you know, the, the way that you've been over the last pretty, over the last several years has been pretty consistent? I've had no other illnesses, sicknesses. I don't even think I've had flu since I've had my strokes. I've been relatively healthy. I don't, I think I saw my neurologist once 
which I had to go and do because after a stroke, within your first two years, you're in a very high danger zone of having three to four more strokes. And the probability is high. It's like 90%. So they said to me, okay, right, two years after, you have to come for a brain scan. If your clot is still there and it's as prominent as it was at the time of the stroke, you're going to have to cut your head open and physically remove it. And then for two years... I had that in my mind and I was thinking, no, I can't have my head cut open. I could come out worse, right? And it's almost like I wished my blood clots away. Mm-hmm. And when I went for my scan, the doctor said there's not even a pinprick left of my clot. But now I've got permanent damage on the brain, pretty much. But I'm quite healthy. I, uh, I, I still smoke. I know it's disgusting. Okay, I smoke, I drink, <laughs> and I sweat. And then nothing really changed. But from a health perspective, I haven't even had a flu. I've been perfect, actually. When it comes to you know contending with a long sort of uh, a long term medical issue, it can just give rise to a bunch of feelings. I mean, you mentioned that you necess- didn't necessarily become depressed, but did you have moments where you felt you know angry or frustrated or disheartened in, in in some way and how did you sort of see yourself through that i i asked this just because i know that at least when with i i i never had to deal with anything as severe as you but when i've dealt with long term pain issues or something like that my emotions can go all over the place and it's important for me to sort of find an outlet so that i don't sink too deep, deeply into into that those negative feelings and I'm wondering what that may have been like for you and what you did in order to be able to sort of keep your keep your attitude as positive as you as you say it is I fight my little internal demons every day every day I battle okay every day for me just to get up and go have a shower is a mission and I do of course I get I get cross with myself because I can't do things that I used to do right and all I have to do is sit back and say to myself right Ursula it is what it is. Make a plan. If you want coffee and you can't carry it and walk, make a plan. I, I can't explain it. Um, mm. Maybe um, I force myself to do things. And when I can do something, and it will sound stupid and small, okay, so I have to walk with a stick, right? Now try to carry a coffee cup and your stick and get to where you want to be. And when I force myself to do it and so I can do it, I'm like, what a, what a girl. Yay. Well done. So I almost mentally reward myself for things that I battle with that I get right. And then at the end of the day, I sit there and I think, wow, you're actually pretty flipping awesome, actually. You kept your balance in the shower. You didn't fall. You even washed your hair today and blow waved one-handed. You made coffee. You've cooked. You've fed your puppies. I've got puppies. And it's almost like a rewarding experience more so than a depressing experience. I don't know. No, no, that's that's very inspiring. When you started making more and more portraits, how have you seen your your style and your skill as a photographer improve and change, even with you know all the obstacles that you faced in terms of being able to make the photographs? Sure. Um, okay, I think that um, I have learned quite quickly to get the shot right, if that makes sense. I am I'm very strict about my pose and my connection and all of that. And I think through that, I've actually become a better photographer even than when I was at weddings because I have to concentrate and pay more attention to detail. 
Did I answer you? Yeah. So when you're when you're posing someone, you're looking for the slight changes, like in the tilt in the head, the placement of the arm, uh, and things like that. Okay. So are uh, you? I maybe before my stroke didn't pay too much attention to details, and now I'm very strict with myself that I get it right. So I can make a sale, right? I mean, that's the whole objective about doing it. I want to make sales. And if I don't get it right and I don't pay the attention and I don't look at the details, I'm not going to sell the portrait. So maybe I've become more of a perfectionist now because I have to deal with my physical issues as well. And does the reality of the fact that, you know, this is what you have to do in order to make a living, a, a big part of the impetus to, to push yourself to, to, to get this stuff done? It's... I have to do it because I've got rent to pay. I've got expenses and it's, but I don't feel like it's a job. I want to do it. It's my passion. So I'm quite focused on doing it because I love it. It's not, I do get stressed about finances every now and then. And then I just push myself a little bit harder, find that one more client, you can do it. And explain what your business model is. I uh, So as a portrait photographer, you're primarily selling uh, prints. How, how, how have you worked that out in terms of what you're offering um, in order to make a living? Okay, so I've got a little workflow that I go through. I book my clients. I do the shoots. I do hair and makeup. I edit my shoots. My client comes back for a digital viewing. And at that time, they make a purchase, right? And I've got samples of products up in my studio. So I can say to make okay, that is a print glass. It comes with that frame and that's the price. Or my canvas with this frame. So I've got product available for them to look at. And I'm a pretty good sales girl, so I make sales. I push for my, my top product, obviously. And I would say, call it six out of ten times, I actually get it right. And they don't hesitate. My suppliers are fantastic. They know about my situation. So I upload my pictures. They know exactly what I want. I place my order and they come and deliver it to me. They help me open the package. So I've got a good relationship with my suppliers so I can get my product. And it's always right. And they come find me. They, they just work with me. And then my clients come back to collect. Uh, tell me about what is, you said that, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing your top product. What, what does that look like? What, what are they getting? What are you offering at that point? Um, okay, it is a nine-up frame, so I've got nine portraits, five by seven, I think, with a mount, like a cut-out mount, behind glass, with a beautiful silver frame. And it's a summary of their whole portrait shoot. So they get nine beautiful different shots of mm. their whole portrait shoot. Because one of the challenges that a lot of people who do who are interested in doing portrait photography is trying to figure out, okay, how much do they charge and what do they offer? As you started transitioning from doing the weddings to doing the portraits, how did you sort of figure out what did you need to do? Because with, with weddings, you're often trying to book as many weddings as you as you can at a certain price point in order to make your, your income for the year. But as you're transitioning, how did you start figuring out what you needed to do to make a living as a portrait photographer rather than a wedding photographer? Sure, it was tough. Eh? It took me about a year just to get my price in what I feel is right because I want to take on specific a niche client that has lots of money, right? I worked out time. How long does it take me to do a shoot? What are my costs to do it? What are my product costs? And what I want to make so I can cover rent. So if I do one shoot a month, it's enough to cover my rent. It's enough to buy my food and electricity and everything else that I need. And I priced myself quite high, actually, 
I have lots of clients coming to me and saying, oh my God, you're too expensive. I'm like, well, please come back when you can afford me. And I'm, I stick to my pricing. I stick to my product. And do you get a, a good number of return clients or, or, or referrals as a result of uh, people who you've worked with before? Is that the, how you get the, the bulk of your, your work? Or do you advertise? I get lots of referrals. And I'm very active on Facebook. And I promise you, I do. I stalk clients. I'll go and look at them and I check what they do for a living and stuff. I personally message them and say, Hi, I'm Ursula. I'm a portrait photographer and I'd like to create a portrait of you. So I hunt. I hunt for a lot of business. Most of my clients come back again and again for more shoots. Like my deaf client wants a portrait again for this year. So I'm booked her. I think in about two months' time, I'll be shooting her again. And then I offer different things for portraiture, I suppose. Uh, my wedding clients, I tell them, come to me for a pre-bridal portrait shoot. I'll teach you how to pose. So on your wedding day, you will know how to pose already. Why wait until your wedding day comes and they don't know how to pose? Come to me for posing. Let's do a portrait. I want to get back to this idea of, of finding clients on, on Facebook, because I know photographers that will promote their work on Facebook, but you're talking about actively pursuing people on Facebook. So are these people that you don't know sort of personally, but that you've gotten to know on Facebook, or, or are these people that you find on Facebook and then you start approaching them about, you know, making their portrait? They are a whole bunch of random strangers so I don't know them personally, and I just send them a personal message. Hi, I'm Ursula. I'd like to make a portrait of you. Can I send you my pricing? Yes, no, and so it goes. Yeah, so it's, I'm a hunter, right? So I hunt for business everywhere I can. I'm on Instagram. I'm on everywhere. I, I phone clients. I actively look for corporate clients that are in my area. I send them a business letter. I tell them I'm a portrait photographer. Maybe you can use me for your sales incentive. If your sales staff do well, use my gift voucher or Ursula as an incentive. Let them come and do a full glamour shoot with me and I'll give them a beautiful print. They can hang it up in the office or whatever. So how much of your how much time do you think during the week are you spending on on doing that, on drumming up clients? I dedicate an hour every morning to do Facebook marketing or social media marketing. And then I dedicate an hour to myself in the afternoon, like from about four, to go and look for active or actively look for clients. So about two hours a day I spend hunting and stalking and finding clients. When you're getting your 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 referrals from people, how how important is it to basically strike where that when the iron is hot because you say for example you've just done a portrait session with someone and you've gotten the work how how important is it to sort of get referrals from them soon after you've sort of delivered a, a photo to a particular client to be able to get their friends their family members to possibly sit for you i think it's very important so uh also okay i do a viewing of their portraits where they make purchases at that time, I said to them, please, can I A, have a testimonial, and B, for every referral that you send to me, I will gift you an additional portrait. So they have an incentive to send people to me because they want another portrait and then don't necessarily want to buy it, so they send people like that. But always, I have a routine. I shoot, I edit, I do a viewing, they make a purchase, and at that time, I said, please send me referrals. I'll give you an extra five portraits for three clients. It's very important because the moment is lost. People forget, you know? You know you're very spirited, and it is really heartening to, to hear. You know, to be quite frank, you're, you're quite amazing. 
because uh, I see that your, your whole personality is so about not just being able to overcome the physical disability as a result of the stroke, but just being able to continue following your passion is, is really amazing. And this, this sort of tenacity that you have from just talking to you seems to be sort of uh, something that you're sort of born with. Do you, is it something that you were sort of born with or did you feel like that's something that you developed early on as, as, as a child and as a young adult? I think I've always been a go-getter. I've always excelled at whatever I've done in my life and I've done many, many different businesses and at school, sports, modeling. I've done it all and whatever I did, I did well at it's almost like I push myself to be the best of whatever I'm doing at the time. So if it was a sales rep, I made sure I was the best sales rep that ever hit the floor. I got the highest sales. I got the highest com. And I think passion, I think you're born with passion. I don't think you can learn passion. I think you're born with it. And you have to find your passion in life and go for it because life is short. And in the blink of an eye, everything changes, right? Right. Absolutely. I'm glad that I found my passion before my stroke and I just decided just to carry on with it because it makes me happy. It's like my little happy place. You must see me. I zoom around in my little chair. I'm all happy and smiley and it's awesome, awesome, awesome. And that passion, nobody can take away from you ever. And I think if you focus on your passion, it's not really work, is it? It's awesome. I have a, I just have fun. It's awesome. I love making bookings. I love shooting. I love seeing hair and makeup being done. It's so much fun, and I'm so passionate about it. There is no time to be depressed. Maybe in between shoots, like now I'm very quiet, and I'm like, oh, my God, I need clients. And I push myself to find more clients. But I've always been a passionate woman, and apparently I've always been bossy too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Sue Brass. Oh, yes, Sue. Uh-huh. She is the most dynamic woman. I love her style of photography. She's flipping mind-blowing. So if you don't know Sue Brass, go and stalk her. She's incredible. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm hoping to have her as a guest on the show at some point soon. Yeah, she's amazing. Well, Ursula, thank you so much for, for appearing on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I hope I answered your questions. You know, my stroke brain has to like try and concentrate and reset. And so I hope I answered your questions. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and thanks to Ursula for joining us on The Candid Frame. You can check out our work by visiting ursulatosic.wordpress.com or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations like the one you heard today. Thanks to Lance Ross for his five-star review. And thanks to all of you who are spreading the word on The Candid Frame on your social networks and your blogs. We had a record number of downloads in January. 
It caught us completely by surprise, but we're so happy to see you spreading the word on the work that we're doing here. So please, please keep it up. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and the candid frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on the donate button on the candid frame website or in the show notes. Thanks to all who have recently contributed to the show, including David Metz. You're awesome. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other, martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarianX. Remember to help keep spreading the word. And this is IbarianX, and this is The Candid Frame.